0: Well, greetings from Rockfish Valley Baptist Church. Uh, t- I've got to tell you, it's an honor and privilege to be here to share the word with you. Um, I am one of two lay elders that were installed by the membership, and together with our senior pastor, we can, we make up the plurality of elders that lead and, and teach the congregation at Rockfish. And again, I'm, uh, it's an honor to be asked to come here and, And share the word. So, as I said, part of my responsibility is teaching at Rockfish, and one of the things I just love doing is at VBS I get to teach the kids, and that's a lot of fun. And so, last year we decided to do something a little bit different. We kind of deviated from the normal script and we started taking the kids down to the basics and building up for the basics so if you can imagine we started god and we went to jesus in a week that was that was pretty good and uh so we would talk to the kids about that and we'd say well who's god and then we went through the catechism and and how do we know about god and of course the answer was we know about god from the bible well who wrote the bible and then we went down that route and is is, can anything be wrong with the Bible? Well, if it was God's Word inspired by God, there can't be anything wrong with it. There's no discrepancies. There's no error in, in the Bible. He never contradicts himself. He's always right. So our text today is going to cover one of those controversial is, issues that you get in the Bible where people say, Aha, we got you here. There's something wrong. But I think today once we get through with this you'll find out that that God was true all along. So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna examine James chapter two, verses fourteen through twenty-six. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you an overview of James's letter. We'll define some terms that we're gonna need to have to understand this, and then we'll then we'll look at the text. So we'll look at James's argument in regards to, regarding faith, we'll look at his response to a possible challenge, and then we'll look at a couple examples that James gives from the Old Testament. And our main idea today is that only true faith saves, and my exhortation to you is to examine your faith to see if you do have that saving faith. So hard as it seems to understand, the letter of James was written by James. Who was James? He was the brother of Jesus, and he was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And with other New Testament authors that you see, these, the authors that wrote the letters, the epistles, James addresses conflicts that includes splintering of uh, fighting factions. He talks about failing... Uh, in what they're supposed to do, falling into worldly uh, practices and lifestyles and failing to put their faith into practice. And I'll tell you what, when I looked at some of that stuff and I look at some of these others, I say, you know, holy cow, they were dealing with the same stuff we're dealing with today. It just sounds so familiar. And as we study it, and, and I lead Bible study also at, at our church, you know, when you go through these letters, you say, holy cow, they could have been writing about us. So that's why we need to take this to heart. So before we get into the text, I want to look at a few words that we're going to be talking about. And those three words are going to be faith, justification, and sanctification. And what we use at Rockfish to learn a lot about the, the words and so forth is we're going to look at the New City Catechism, and I'll give you those definitions. So question number 30 in the in the catechism is what is faith in jesus christ and what it and the answer to that is receiving and resting on him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel okay and then question 32 what do justification and sanctification mean and justification means our declared righteousness before god Sanctification means our gradual, growing righteousness. So what we're going to do now is I want to get into the text, we'll pray, and then we'll get on to business. So I'm reading out of the ESV, and again, we're going to be, if you want to join me, we're going to read from chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, and this is what James writes. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things they need for the body what good is that so also faith by itself if it does not have works is dead but someone will say you have faith and I have works show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works you believe that God is one you do well But even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled by his works. so also faith apart from works is dead. if you join me in prayer, please. Lord, this is a powerful message, and we appreciate you sending this to us. And I pray that we look at this with open eyes, open ears, and open hearts, that we may understand the word that you're trying to pass along to us We can internalize that word, and then we can go out in our communities and spread that word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So anybody that has participated in sports or watches sports or or has sports in their lives know about this word. There you go. That talk is cheap. And you hear that a lot in the sporting world. You hear a lot of athletes that just run their mouths and do a lot of talking. But there's one example in particular that I thought was pretty interesting, and I'm gonna date myself, and football fans will appreciate this. But back in 69, during Super Bowl III, there was a quarterback for the Jets by the name of Joe Namath. And Joe Namath was a talker. And the day before the Super Bowl, he was very famously laying beside a swimming pool. And the reporters went up to him and they said, Joe, what do you think? What's going to be the outcome of the Super Bowl? And he he looked at him quite frankly and said, we're going to win. And not only are we going to win, but I guarantee we're going to win. And everybody said, oh, wow, you know, this brash guy, oh, geez, he's going to get. And they were up against the best team in the NFL. They were up against the Colts, who by far was. You know, in today's betting world, they were going to walk all over the Jets. And by golly, the Jets, the guarantee came true, and the Jets won that game. Your actions give credibility to your claims. Your actions give credibility to your claims. So NamUs' action and that of the Jets gave credibility to the boast that he had the day before. So this is what James is say- So this is what James is saying in verses 14 through 17. And in verse 17, he says, What good is it if you say you have faith, but you do not have works? What good is it if you say you're going to win the Super Bowl if you don't win the Super Bowl? Notice he doesn't say faith plus works equals salvation. But asks if that faith, that faith has accompanying works. The deeds or works give credibility to the claim. If I have faith, there's going to be works that follow. He then gives the example in verse fifteen about a brother or sister in need of in need and walking past them without helping them. And, and they say, go in peace. Well, what is go in peace? Well, essentially what that is is that's saying, I'll pray for you. Okay? And, the, and how often we do that? We walk past somebody who say, well, I'll pray for you. Or someone says, I need some help. I'll pray for you. How often do you pray for them? You know? So you go about your day, you don't ever pray. And, and I'm not saying that pray, prayer isn't important. I'm not saying that. James isn't saying that. Okay, but what he's saying is if you're offering a prayer rather than offering action, then you're really just talking. Okay, and, 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 he's say, and again, he's not saying that prayer isn't important. He's not saying that you've got to respond to everything that's in your path. But if you've got the means to help somebody what he's saying is that's the action that he's talking about that reflects your your faith it's kind of a it's kind of an invasive maneuver i mean how many times have you been asked for example if you had someone who had a death in the family or someone who had someone in the hospital asked to prepare a meal and it's like yeah okay I, you know i'm kind of busy but boy i'll pray for them Or, I don't know if you all have church work days here. I don't know if you have people come out and and help clean up around the church and everything, but you get asked about that, and it's like, yeah, you know, I had a busy week. But I'm with you in spirit. Again, not every possibility as it relates to service is a responsibility, but I'm saying that your faith shows. It's not bloodless. It's not sweatless, it's not tearless, or it's not invisible. James' point is that true saving faith is defined by the actions that follow. If the claim to faith is made and it doesn't have defining actions, then that faith is essentially dead. And I'm going to borrow an example from a pastor in Louisville by the name of Greg Gilbert. And Gilbert says, if you plant a seed... And nothing grows out of it, then you can rightly assume that the seed was dead at the start. So you need to ask yourself the question, what kind of faith do you have? And sometimes God has already given us the answer to prayer. You don't lean on a shovel and pray for a hole. Is your faith the lazy leaning on the shovel type of faith? Is that your is that the faith that you have? The quality of your faith shows up on how you live. That's what James is saying. What kind of faith do you have? Now James changes gears and he gets into verse 18 and he, he engages a hypothetical critic who says, I have faith and you have works. And that objector setting forth that says forth that the faith and works are two separate and equally valid gifts. Some people have faith. Some people have works. And the faith and works work against each other. But that's not what James is saying. He's saying that the faith and works are friends. Faith is the root and works are the fruit of salvation. Saving faith, genuine faith, shows up. They make that meal. They help at the the church uh, work day. So let's take a look at another passage. Let's look at Matthew seven fifteen through 20. And Jesus says, Beware false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you recognize them by their fruit. So live faith bears fruit, and this fruit is seen daily. When you're born again... You want to love God. You want to glorify Him by performing good works. But mere acclamation, acclamation of faith is not saving. In other words, just saying you have faith is not saving faith. Look at verse 19. And this is where James gets a little snippy. And it's, I think it's pretty neat, to be honest with you. He says, You believe there's one God. Now, why does he say that? You believe there's one God. Well, that's the, that was the Jewish confession of, of monotheism, right? There's only one God. And James says, good, way to go. You're a believer. Good job. But then he follows with, even the demons believe that, and they shudder. So what is James saying here? Why is he saying it this way? Take a look at uh, at Luke eighteen nine through 14 in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. He also told this parable, talking about Jesus, to someone who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you. I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. The Pharisee knew there was only one God, and he knew a whole lot about the Torah and the law. I'm sure he professed his holiness and told everybody how holy he was. But the tax collector went home justified because not only did he have faith, but his faith was demonstrated in what he did. He humbled himself, and he begged for forgiveness. And this is really the picture of repentance. Repentance. Faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. We see them in the tax collector, who is poor in spirit, and who bears the fruit of mercy by doing his father's will. So now that James made his argument, he was ready to offer some examples, and he chose two examples from the Old Testament. Now, why in the world would he choose two examples from the Old Testament? Keep in mind who his audience is. These are all Jewish converts. And I'm going to tell you something about the, the Jews where they understood the Old Testament. So, not just James, but if you look at, all, at other New Testament writers of the epistles, they all appeal to the Jewish knowledge of the Old Testament. So he starts off in verse 20. <laughs> Once again, he gets a little snippy. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? that faith without works is useless. You know, after all I've told you, now you need examples. Okay, I'm going to give you some examples. So he uses Abraham and Rahab as examples in verses 21 and 25. Now again, Abraham's a very clever choice to use in his example because he's the man. He's the one that started the whole, the whole Jewish population, the whole, the, all the people. That was, that was the guy. And to, so to use him is kind of put an exclamation point on this example. So in verses 21 through 25, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac at the altar? You see that faith is active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not faith alone. And in the same way was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out the other way. So look again, he says, justified by works. Whoa, Nellie, isn't this a contradiction? Aren't we told faith alone? Now here's James coming up and saying, "Justified by works." Doesn't this contradict what Paul says? Paul says in Romans 3:28, "For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law." Is James correct in Paul? Can we have a contradiction in the Bible? Does God contradict himself? Now, when I asked that question to the kids in VBS, I said, does God contradict himself? What's the answer? No, not at all. So how does this work? How does this this work together? So as you study the Bible, you need to understand that God's intended message, to understand that you've got to put things in context, and you've got to be able to see how words are used. And that's what we're going to do here. We'll look at this context first. And history is all full of people that cherry-pick Bible verses to try to support their own, what they want to believe. But we can't do that here. So verses 21 and 23 are classic examples of what's, when they are taken out of context to support the point that Bible has contradictions and is inerrant, or is, is errant. So let's put these two verses in context. Paul knew that his teaching was being distorted. If you look at Romans 3, 7, and 8, But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, so Paul knew he was being, his teaching was being distorted. And James, in part, is correcting these distortions. Paul and James are on the same sheet of music in terms of defining true faith. James, in verse 14, asked if that faith, that is, without works, can save. That's what he's talking about when, he, when, when he, he's in, in compliance with what Paul's saying. Galatians 5 6 is the key to seeing Paul and James unified. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So now let's put verses 21 and 23 in context. We'll finish verse 23. Abraham believed in God, it counted him righteous, and he was called a friend of God. And in verse 22 you see that you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works that's the saving face faith we're, faith we're talking about his faith was active along with his works and his faith was completed by his works So the other way of understanding scriptures have a grasp on word meanings For example if I use say the word rock it depends on your context. Jimmy Plate likes basketball. Sometimes they refer to a basketball as a rock. Someone has a ring on a diamond ring. A diamond could be referred to as a rock. It's a type of music, perhaps, or a mineral. So in our text, the word in question is justify. Remember, we defined that at the beginning of our discussion as a declared righteousness before God made possible by Jesus' death and resurrection. Paul and James, however, use that word a little bit differently. Paul uses the word from a technical meaning, judicial acquittal. In other words, justification is a pronouncement of being made right with God, pronouncement of being made right by God. James is using it in an older common way of using the word. Justification, in his case, is the public presentation of of the person is righteous. It is what is set forth as proof to what is claimed. So in verse 24, James says, you see, that is you that is, you can tell or pr- prove a person is justified because the presence of his works demonstrates that he had saving faith the start. So what James is saying in verse 23 agrees what Paul is saying in Romans 4, 3 on the same subject. For what the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and was counted as righteous. The example of Rahab in verse twenty-five is the same logic. James uses the word justification in the sense that the works allow or the works show the presence of saving faith. Bottom line is this: If you ask James and Paul how a person gets right by God, they both answer with verse twenty-three. James concludes in verse 26 by restating his whole point of the passage that faith apart from works is dead. Mark put it best in in chapter 4, verse 20. And if you recall, this is the parable about the uh, seeds on the path and so forth. The parable concludes with verse 20, but those that are sown on the good soil are the ones that hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So what does this all mean to the Christian? If you made a profession of true faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you were reborn with a new heart and you're on the road of sanctification. You are the new creation. You want to be Christ-like. You want to be holy. You want to love your neighbor. You want to do everything in God's glory. And just like Jimmy said earlier, you want to come to church and, and worship with fellow believers. Works aren't drudgery. They should be welcome. They should be joyful. Do you have to do everything? Well, obviously not. You don't have to do everything. But you should ask God for needs that he places before you that you can act upon. And I think earlier when the card went around with the mower and so forth that's you know that's just one way of of demonstrating your faith. That's the challenge. We have to examine our faith, to detem- determine if it's genuine or if it's counterfeit. If you fear that your faith is not genuine, there is a solution. You need to confess to God that you have false faith and ask him for the gift of true faith. Faith in Jesus who died for our sins so we might die to our sin and live in righteousness. To be clear, it is not our works that save us, and it is not our faith that saves us. It is Jesus Christ that saves us by his grace. We put the faith God gives in God's Son, and he saves us. We do all the sinning. He does all the saving. It's salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. But remember, faith that saves is never alone. You pray with me, please. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for revealing just a little bit more about you. And we pray that we all have true faith. And we all pray that that faith is demonstrated by what we do. It is demonstrated by our works, and it's demonstrated by works that we do joyfully and happily in the effort to want to serve our benevolent Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.